Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Chicago Audible Podcast, changing up the way Bears fans stay up to date on their favorite team since 2015. Now get ready. Because it's time to bear down. Welcome back, Bears fans, to another episode of the Chicago Audible. I'm Russell DeWitt, and I hope that you all enjoyed your Victory Monday. After Chicago's big win on Sunday against the Vikings, they're traveling across the Atlantic to take on the West Coast Oakland Raiders. So to kick off our Week 5 preview, I sat down with your boy Q. He hosts the Lockdown Raiders podcast, the Black Hole Banter, and he also works for ESPN in Central Texas. So without any further delay... Let's get to my conversation with Q and meet the 2019 Oakland Raiders. Q, thanks for joining me today. I know our listeners are excited to learn more about the Raiders as we prepare for week five. I'm glad to have you on. How's it going, man? It is going really good, man. It's a fun week. Uh, it's an exciting week. Uh, the Raiders and Bears are going to be playing in London. It's it's exciting and kind of scary at the same time because the Raiders just typically are not a good London team, haven't won a game in London yet, so I get a little nervous, but it's still going to be a lot of fun, so I'm excited about it. And, of course, Khalil Mack's a big subject as well, so there's a lot of talk this week about him. Yeah, How did you know what my first question was going to be? I mean, this is going to be a very fun week, and I have to ask, and I hate to do it to you, but how much do you miss Khalil Mack? Oh, man, I'm telling you, that's something that Raider Nation will never get over, uh, Khalil Mack not being there. And, and I'll tell you right now, man, I still remember where I was September 1st, 2018, when it was uh, announced and my my update came on my phone saying that he was traded to the Bears and just the disbelief that I had. And I mean, I still, even a year later, even though I know that he plays for the Bears, I've seen him in prime time. I know what's going on. It still, it really, really hurts because that's the one guy. It's like the girl that got away, you know, the mm-hmm. one that you was the perfect one. She got away, and now you're stuck with someone who's just all right. You know? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's funny. I remember where I was, too. I still had disbelief, and I still do. So we feel the same thing, but totally opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah, exactly. Yours is a great thing. I mean, when you woke up, you were were thrilled. You probably did a backflip, and you were in disbelief because no way that that could possibly happen to you. I got a buddy that's actually a Chicago Bears fan, and he hit me up immediately. He does radio in Fresno, California, and he said, man, 
there's no way the Bears don't go out and make moves like that. Is this possible? And I'm like, yeah, man, stop hitting me up and don't talk to me for a couple of days or a week or so because I'm really <laughs> going through it right now. So, uh, yeah, man, uh, we, we have the same kind of feeling, but for different reasons. Yours was great. Mine, not so much. And now I have the girl and you have just an all right girl. Yeah, exactly. You got the hot chick, and I'm kind of looking like, man, come on. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> well, I'm going to be thankful for my hot chick, number 52, here in Chicago. But there are more players moving in and out. And I'm going to spare you any Antonio Brown talk, just to let you know now, because we're a few weeks in. That's old news. No reason to really hit on that right now. But we did have a big news kind of break earlier today that Vondes Perfect, he suspended for the entire year. And then also when I was doing some research for this show, I saw that your cornerback, Nevin Lawson, who I know from his days in Detroit up here in the NFC North, he's off of a suspension this week. So I want to know two things here from your Q. Uh, what's the impact of that perfect loss for that defense? And secondly, do we expect Lawson's going to play or not? You know, that's a really good question on Lawson. I'll answer part two first, just because I'm not too sure what to expect from him. Uh, saw him briefly in the preseason, and he was okay. He looked he looked okay at moments. Uh, like you said, he did play in, in Detroit and had a little bit of success there. But he was a guy that I, I didn't think was really going to even make the roster. But apparently the, the Raiders saw enough in him to, to keep him around for the long term, even though he had a four-game suspension. So that was kind of interesting. I'm not too sure. The only reason I think that he might hit the field is because of depth. You know, just because the Raiders are, are kind of plagued with some injuries right now, not necessarily at the cornerback position, but if something just doesn't go right, you know, maybe he hits the field that way. Maybe he hits the field as special teams. But uh, I'm not too sure what to expect from him this week. Now, moving forward, I'm sure that they'll find a way to get him into the rotation. Now, with Vontez Burford being out and being suspended for the year, that's a big-time hit right there. That's a big hit for the Raiders, and it's really because he is Paul Gunther's quarterback on defense. I mean, he is the guy I didn't think too highly of him when he came up. How personalized can a financial plan be when it's created by one of those robo-advisors? Plugging in standard algorithm to calculate insurance need and future wealth of random human client. Robots don't know you. We do. At Farm Bureau Financial Services, getting to know you always comes first. Together, we'll create a financial plan based on your specific goals. Find a local Farm Bureau advisor at fbfs.com slash protect. It's your future. Let's protect it. Over from Cincinnati after he was cut. I didn't think that he was going to have any place on the team just because of, well, his history. I mean, he always is suspended. He's always injured. He's always getting 15-yard penalties. And so I thought, I don't know if this team really needs that guy. Well, I was wrong because he knows that Paul Gunther defense, and he knows it really well. So he was able to line guys up and, and get them in the proper position. He was able to audible out of calls, check out of calls, and get into other calls, and just set that set that defense up, you know, at least a, for an attempt to be successful. And now without him there, that's going to be really interesting moving forward. I believe Tahir Whitehead will be the guy uh, with the green dot on the back of his helmet. He was on Sunday after, after Vontaze Burford got ejected against the Colts. So it, it should be... I would say a smoother transition, but I still think it's a pretty big loss just because, like I said, he was the quarterback of that defense. Paul Gunther felt very, very comfortable with him and him calling the plays and checking out a plays. So uh, moving forward, we'll have to see how much Tahir Whitehead is comfortable with doing that. He did it in 2018, but he didn't really know Gunther's defense. So now he's a year experienced in that defense. Hopefully he knows what he's doing now and, and, and is more comfortable with the defense and, and can read stuff quicker and, and make those calls to the rest of the defense. But, uh, yeah, as far as I'm concerned, Vontez Burford being out is a pretty big loss for the Raiders. Great insight there, Q. We'll get to the defense a little bit more here later on throughout this interview, but I do want to go back to your offense, or actually just get to your offense. Uh, the Raiders, they started the season with a big win 
uh, over the Broncos, and then they kind of dropped their next two, losing by three scores each, Chiefs and Vikings. Um, but then you see Oakland doing a pretty good job at handling the Colts just a couple of weeks ago and a winning effort at that. So before I actually do dive into that offense, getting a little ahead of myself, but sorry, you got me thinking about Khalil Mack earlier, and you know how that goes. But I want to know, what's the difference of the Raiders team that we saw in weeks one and four as compared to the team that we saw in weeks two and three? Uh, that's a really good question. You know, that's a really good question because the offense that you saw in weeks one and four is basically what I expected to see all season long. Derek Carr is in the second year of this John Gruden offense, so all we've heard all offseason long is that Derek Carr is going to be able to pick it up a lot better. They're going to understand the offense a lot better, and uh, you know he's going to be able to, to get these guys in a position to be successful. Now, week one, he did that. He did a really good job of that, and John Gruden, in my opinion, called a pretty good game. Now, he gets conservative at times. He has that West Coast offense, so it's not going to be a Kansas City Chiefs offense where they just blow you out the, out the park and blow you out the stadium and just run you right off back to your locker room. It's not going to be that ever. I mean, it's just not going to be that. That's not that's not how John Gruden is is wired, and that's not how this offense is wired. But you know, it, it's interesting. Against Kansas City, they got they got down pretty quickly. They had a second quarter that basically snowballed them and ended their game. And so I feel like they got away from their game plan. But I also feel like they went into that game thinking that they had to try to be the Kansas City Chiefs, and they're not they're not wired like that. They're not, and they don't have the personnel to play like that. So I think that that was a mistaken game plan that they went in there. And then uh, against Minnesota, week three. Uh, things just started happening. You know, they, they should have got off the field early on a third down. They had a penalty, extended the drive. Boom, the Vikings score a touchdown. Boom, the Vikings get the ball back, score a touchdown again. Next thing you know, you're down a couple touchdowns, and they're looking up thinking, what's going on? So they get away from the run game. Josh Jacobs only carries the ball 10 times throughout the game against Minnesota, and that's just not enough. He's going to be a guy that has to be a workhorse, similar to what he did in week four against the against the Colts, coming up with like 80-something yards and, and was actually able to finish the game off for the Raiders, able to basically make the Colts just wave the white flag and take two timeouts back to their locker room and say, you know what, it's not even worth it. They, they won this game, you know. So he's got to be used. He's got to be involved very heavily uh, in, in the run game and, you know, out of the backfield, catch the passes out of the backfield. Again, something he did in week four against the Colts. So uh, if they could stick to the script, stick to the game plan, get off to a quick start, then they have chances in games. It's when they get off to a slow start and all of a sudden they look up and they're two touchdowns down, then they start to panic. And then, well, you see what happened week two and week three. Yeah, absolutely. Whenever you get down in the NFL, I mean, you have to abandon ship and try to figure and claw your way back. And that changes all the game planning that you did all week long. When you're looking at Derek Carr specifically, he's, like you said, like the rest of the offense, up and down, up and down this year, a little inconsistent. But when you're looking at his season, I want to know, like, what is going to be the recipe for success with Derek Carr in this offense this year? I mean, it's got to be just get the ball out of his hand as quick as possible. He's really good at that. One of the quickest in the league. They're getting rid of it. He's got to get through his progressions and, you know, and he's not going to take a lot of shots down the field, but he's got to take a couple. He's got to take a couple shots a game at least to to keep the defense honest, to allow the defenses to, to think that there may be a shot instead of just pin their ears back and come forward. You know, if the defense is coming forward, it's going to be a long day. But if he could be on sync and in sync with his, uh, his, his wide receivers and his running back and the offensive line could keep him upright, then he has a chance to, to kind of throw the ball around the yard. Ideally, I'd like to see him maybe throw 30, 31, 32 passes a game. Nothing more than that. If he gets up to 40, 45 passes a game, that means that the Raiders are in trouble. That means that they're losing and they're trying to play catch up. And that's never good. This offense has to be balanced. If this offense is not balanced, it's going to be a long day. And so uh, ideally, you, you get an offensive line to protect the guy, give him a little bit of an opportunity to throw the ball and go through his progressions, get, you know, go through his second, uh, second read, third read, maybe even his fourth read. He did that one time against the Colts, got through his fourth progression and uh, hit Josh Jacobs, and it was a big pickup. Uh, you got to be able to do, do that. You got to be able to protect this guy because he's not 
going to just run around and keep plays alive with his feet. He's trying to be a little bit more mobile, but at the end of the day, he's not going to be that guy. He's just not going to run around the yard. He's going to try to to move the pocket just a little bit, and really that's all you could ask him to do right now. Uh, but if he has a little bit of opportunity, if he has a little bit of time to throw the ball, he is pretty accurate, so he, he could be a, a good weapon, but he's got to have time. For sure. Now, obviously, a buzzword, or for you, at least a name on that offense, is Josh Jacobs. And obviously, he makes that offense better. What I saw last week was him really getting into a groove, something he was unable to do in weeks two and three, probably due to the reasons that you already kind of alluded to there, Q. But I want to know, like, what do you like from Jacobs? And I already know he makes that offense better. For But for those of our listeners who are wondering why, could you give us the why behind the story? Yeah, I, I like him a lot. Uh, he was the guy that I really wanted the team to pick up in the draft, and they did. They got him number 24 overall out of Alabama. And a lot of people in the NFL look at Alabama running backs and say, yeah, well, they don't really have a whole lot of success once they get to the league. Well, one, a lot of them have a lot of wear and tear on their body once they get to the league. Josh Jacobs was not even a starter at Alabama, but he was a guy that came in and he made a lot of big plays. And he's a guy that can stay on the field for all three downs. He could run, he can catch, and he could pass block. And that's what he has to do. He has to be able to protect. That's very, very vital for this offense to be able to go. So uh, I'm impressed with just his his uh, sense of picking up the offense as quickly as he has being a rookie. You know, I mean, a lot of times that's not as easy. It's I guess it's an easier position to pick up as a running back because ultimately you're running the ball and, and you got to protect. So I, I get that. But still, just being in the NFL is a different ball game. And he's been able to pick up that pretty quickly and, and realize what his job is. He's also a very humble guy and a very hungry guy. So he's going to go out there and he's going to give you everything he has every single time. He's not a, a braggadocious dude. He's not one of those diva type guys where, you know, it's all about him. And he's got to have all the numbers. He just wants to go out there and win. And that's part of coming from that Nick Saban program. Uh, he's been to the mountaintop a couple times already. Uh, he's, you know, he's, he's he expects to win. He expects his team to win at all times. So it's kind of one of those high character guys that a lot of people heard Mike Mayock talking about leading up to the draft. He needs a high character, foundational type player. That's who Josh Jacobs is. And at the same time, he he has a home run ability. Uh, he's sturdy. He's he's big enough to be able to play uh, to carry the rock between the tackles. He's able to get outside. He can run some routes. I mean, that's the other thing about him. He can run routes. It's not like he's just a dump off guy. Like you just check it down to him. He could actually run some wheel routes out of the backfield. He could run some slants. I mean, there's there's some things, some logos. I mean, he could do all those kind of routes, and he has that under his belt, and he's comfortable with doing that. So he should be a mismatch nightmare. I've been waiting for John Gruden to get him more involved in the offense than what he has so far through the first four games of the season. But last week against Indianapolis, you did start to see Josh Jacobs be more heavily involved, get more carries, get some passes thrown his way. You know, I mean, there's there's they're starting to to really bring him along in the offense. And as long as he's able to pass block, he's got to continue to pass block and pass protect. He missed one, I think, week three against the Vikings or week two. Yeah, week three against the Vikings. But uh, he he's. He's getting better at that. He's, he's getting better and more aware of like uh, the, the blitz pickup. So uh, excited what he could bring. And he's a young dude. And uh, like I said, he's so hungry and humble that I, I think he's going to really be a stud for the Raiders for years to come. Now, looking at your tight end, Darren Waller, out of nowhere. Uh, he's the first tight end with 33 catches in four games since Antonio Gates. And yeah. only those two have ever reached that mark ever. I mean, it's ultra impressive. And this is some special production that you're getting out of him. So... I want to know, why do you believe defenses haven't found a way to slow down Walter yet? Obviously, he's by far and large the Raiders' most active receiver throughout the first month. Yeah, he really is, and he's a pleasant surprise. You know, he's a guy that came off the Baltimore Ravens practice squad. Uh, the, the Raiders saw him last year when they played against him. He warmed up before the game, and that was it. And, and Greg Olson, the offensive coordinator, actually saw him and said, hey, this is a guy that I think you should pick up. I think we should bring him in. John Gruden did it, and 
Uh, you saw a little bit of flash from him athletically last season, but nothing. And you had no idea that he was going to be able to be this guy in 2019. Uh, everyone was panicked because Jared Cook left and went to the Saints as a free agent. So what's going to happen with the tight end position? Well, here comes this young stud, this guy who's very athletic, who's got some demons in his background. But OK, as long as he's fighting those and looks like he's on the on the straight and narrow with that, looks like he's doing really well in his personal life. He can get out there and play, you know, and he really can. He's athletic like a wide receiver, but he's still a tight end. And, and you know, uh, I. I kind of compare him to like uh, Jimmy Graham when Jimmy Graham was still really, really good. He mm. has that ability, you know, and, and so that's the thing. I think John Gruden really, really likes him. Uh, Derek Carr is very comfortable throwing the ball. To- Finally, a bed that senses snoring and automatically responds. Meet the Ergo Smart Base from Tempur-Pedic, our first system that detects snoring, then automatically adjusts by raising the bed. Get your best sleep all night, every night. For a limited time, save up to $500 on select adjustable mattress sets and experience the deep, undisturbed sleep of Tempur-Pedic. Get full offer details at TempurPedic.com. So I think that they're just kind of scheming him up, putting him all over the field, lining him up in the slot, lining him up outside, uh, you know, putting him uh, tight, tight on the line of scrimmage. with linebacker get him with a, a slot corner get him with someone smaller than him because he has the size and uh, once he gets the ball in his hands he's a tough dude to bring down once he starts starts running I mean he's not your typical tight end he's a dude who got some wheels and the only thing he hasn't done yet uh, you mentioned he tied with Antonio Gates I was rooting for him to get that catch last week against Indianapolis it just didn't happen he caught seven passes tied Antonio Gates I would have loved for him to get the eighth one I'd like to see him get in the end zone as well he hasn't got in the end zone yet hasn't been able to to celebrate yet and, and all the work that he's doing the heavy lifting that he's doing for that Raiders offense he deserves one time to, to to spike the ball and celebrate a little something something so I'm hoping that uh that touchdown comes for him sooner rather than later yeah a couple weeks sounds ideal to me maybe not this week in London <laughs> I heard that <laughs> All right. Uh, obviously, tight end. He's been the one of the biggest, if not the biggest, focal point Waller has in your offense. But looking at the wide receivers, it does look like after Waller, there's a pretty steep drop off. And then the targets and the touches kind of get spread out. But it does appear that Bears fans should be focused on guys like Williams and Renfro, correct? Yeah, I would think so. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, Tyrell Williams is the guy that you really got to watch out for. He's caught a touchdown pass in each game so far this season, and uh, that's pretty impressive. He's also dropped a couple, but he's got the size, he's got the speed. He he's on the same page with Derek Carr. They look like they're they're really they worked out a, a lot throughout the offseason, training camp, preseason. They really worked on their craft together and getting on that same page, and I think that they are. And so he's going to be a guy that Derek Carr is going to look to, and especially in the red zone, like I mentioned, having four touchdowns already on the season. And Hunter Renfro, I like him a lot. Now, he's a guy who comes out of Clemson. He's a rookie. Uh, he's not going to wow you with speed. He's not going to wow you with size, but he has hands. That's one thing he does, and the Raiders have always been plagued with drop. Drop pass after drop pass after drop pass. It didn't matter if it was Amari Cooper, Michael Crabtree, Seth Roberts. It doesn't matter. Any of those cats drop the ball all the time, and that's one thing that Hunter Renfro just does not do is put the ball on the ground. So I think as a security blanket, he's a great guy for Derek Carr in that offense because Derek Carr knows that if I get the ball to him, if I get it on his hands, he's going to catch the ball. Perfect example, uh, last week against the Colts, it was third, I think, 15, and Derek Carr got to his third progression hit 
hit uh, Hunter Renfro right along the sideline on a, like a two, three-yard pass. It wasn't anything special, but Hunter Renfro knew where the sticks were, and he got, I think, 14 yards and allowed the Raiders to go for it on fourth and one. They end up picking up the first down, driving down, and getting the touchdown. But it's just the, the, the wherewithal. You know, he knew exactly in his head, okay, I'm getting the ball. I've got to get to this certain point to at least give this team a chance to go for it on fourth down or pick up the first down. He's just very heady. He's very smart. Uh, again, he comes from Clemson. You know, it's just similar to what I was saying about Josh Jacobs coming from Alabama, being a, a, one of those programs that expects to win. They, they breed winners. Uh, they just they, they play in the national championship game, what, three times in a row now? I mean, they, they, they're always there. So they're, they're very well coached, and, and that mentality goes a long way in the NFL, even as a rookie. And so I, I like what Hunter Renfro brings to the table, and uh, Derek Carr is, is very comfortable with throwing it to him and getting it to him. Like I said, it's not going to be anything deep. He's not going to wow you with speed. He's not going to take the top off the defense, but he can get open, and he can catch the ball. Q, looking at your offense, obviously for Chicago, our defensive front, they've been rather nasty. And yes, we can go back to Khalil Mack and talk about him if you want. Um, I do want to focus on that offensive line because they've done a pretty decent job overall this season as a whole in terms of protecting Derek Carr. Only quarterback pressures allowed on about 25% of dropbacks, which is pretty, it's not all the way on the top, it's near the top of the league. Uh, could you give us a lowdown on that offensive line? Are there any areas of weakness up front that we should keep in mind? Or is it just whoever's on Khalil Mack? Well, yeah, I mean, whoever's on Khalil Mack is going to have their work cut out for him, which will probably be, uh, the not the rookie, but second-year guy, Colton Miller. Uh, Trent Brown's on the right side. He's a little banged up, but he's a, he's a tough dude. He'll be out there playing, so I'm not too concerned about him. So the bookends, Trent Brown at the right tackle. He was a free agent that they brought in. Uh, he's a big dude, just really, really big dude. So I feel pretty comfortable with what he'll do on the right side. Colton Miller is another question because Khalil Mack has so many tools in the tool shed. So I, I just expect him to to go out there and do what he does and, and, and be a monster. Derek Carr's got to get that ball out of his hands quickly. Richie Incognito, he came back from from his suspension, his two-game suspension. He's played well the last two games. I like him. At the other guard position is a question, though, because uh, Denzel Good is going to have to be in there this week. The, the old pro, Gabe Jackson, he's been out all season long with a, with a, a MCL sprain. And uh, so the Raiders have been filling in guys at that right guard spot. So that's always going to be a question. I think he won't come back till after the bye week, which is uh, after the Chicago game, after the London game. And uh, the center, Rodney Hudson, he's a stud. He's an absolute stud. He's been a stud his whole career. So I'm very confident there. But there's a, there's a hole. If there's any kind of an issue, it's going to be probably at that right guard position and possibly the left tackle position. So there's two spots that that Chicago Bear defensive line could really, really thrive on if they're, uh, if they're trying to get after Derek Carr, which they will be on Sunday. All right, let's transition to the other battle in the trenches because when I'm looking at Oakland's defense, I only see six sacks in four games, second least in the NFL. Uh, what's behind the lack of a pass rush for Oakland? Well, you got Khalil Mack. <laughs> there we go. Done. I mean, that's, that's, no, I mean, really, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of things. The Raiders have not been very good at the pass rush. Only had 13 sacks in 2018, and uh, like you said, six so far in, in 2019. And I, I, I just – you don't really know how to generate any uh, any pressure. Even beating Indianapolis last week, they didn't really get that much pressure. You know, they got a lot of young guys. Clee Farrell, he was number p four overall pick. You got Max Crosby, he was a fourth round draft pick. Benson Mayoa actually has three and a half sacks for the Raiders, and he was a, a healthy scratch on Sunday. So, uh, you know, there's just not a lot of pass rushers out there. They're not generating uh, that, that pressure for the Raiders up front. And so whoever the quarterback for the Bears is going to be, I'm assuming it's going to be Chase Daniel, is going to have some, some good time back there to, to throw the ball around. The, 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 the run defense for the Raiders is really good. The pass rush uh, is not too much. So is that why, would you attribute the lack of a pass rush as to why when I'm looking at your secondary, you allow the seventh highest pass rating, 106 
He allowed the sixth most passing yards per game at 281. Is it the secondary that's slacking, or is it just due to the pass rush not hitting home? Well, I mean, the, the pass rush isn't getting home. Uh, first and foremost, that's the most important thing, is that they're not getting there in these quarterbacks. And look who the, the Raiders have faced. I mean, you already faced Patrick Mahomes. He got you for 28 points in one quarter. You know, and so uh, mm-hmm. Denver didn't really have a, a, a tough uh, quarterback. I mean, Joe Flacco, I'm not worried about him. Kirk Cousins is okay. Uh, he hasn't been anything great this season. And then uh, and then Jacoby Brissett, he, he had plenty of time on, on Sunday against the Raiders. And so their pass rush just isn't what it's supposed to be. The 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 secondary is, is trying to do better. It, it's trying to step up. They had a, their best game so far, in my opinion, against the against the Colts. But uh, it's it's you know it's a little it's a work in progress. The, the defense is definitely work in progress. Overall, they're not very good, but they have their moments. And I think on Sunday they had their best moment. Now they have to try to figure out if they could build off of that. That's going to be the biggest question for that defense. Can the secondary and the defensive line build off what they did on Sunday and keep that going the rest of the season? Could I ask why the run defense is so good? Actually. Yeah, you know, I think it's just that the the defensive tackles in there. Uh, Jonathan Hankins has been really good. P.J. Hall's been showing up pretty well. He was a second-round pick out of Sam Houston State a year ago. Uh, I like him. Mo Hurst is in there at the defensive tackle position. They got some dudes. And then Clee Farrell, even the rookie, even though he's a DN, he really is better against the run. I mean, he's one of those run stuffers. Like, Khalil Mack gets after the quarterback and stuffs the run. Well, Clee Farrell is a guy who stuffs the run really well, and he— will get after the quarterback. I think he has one sack so far on the season, but he's just not, you know, he doesn't have the the tools in his in his tool toolbox to get to the quarterback like that yet. He's got to still continue to grow. But they are they are pretty stout against the run, which I've been very impressed by because then it kind of puts the the other team in one of those pass pass situations where they feel like they have to pass and it allows the the pass rush to get a chance to get home. They just haven't been getting home. And then if the ball's in the air, maybe there could be an interception. The Raiders only have one interception on the season, so that hasn't happened very often either. But, you know, like I said, maybe they're starting to turn the corner with the production that they had on Sunday against the Colts. I ask this question every week, and I want to know from your perspective, looking at the Chicago Bears, what do you believe that the biggest challenge is going to be that we will present Oakland? I mean, it's just got to be that defense. Really, I think that the pass rush is going to get home. I think they're going to have an opportunity to get Derek Carr on the ground. And if they do and get to him early, this is my biggest key. If the if the Bears get to Derek Carr early, it's going to be a long day for the Raiders because once he gets hit multiple times and once he gets sacked multiple times, uh, the opportunity for a strip sack is there. We all know number 52, Agent 52, like I like to call him. He uh, He's good at the strip sack. He's really good at getting after the ball. And uh, that that's when turnovers start to happen. So I, I think that Derek Carr will get some happy feet in the pocket if the pressure's there early. If the pressure's there not so late in the game, then maybe he's already feeling comfortable about himself and is relaxed and, and feels like he can go get it. But if they start getting to him early, start hitting him early, he'll get a little, uh, like I said, happy feet, and that could be a big problem. Start seeing ghosts out there. Start seeing things that he doesn't really expect to see, or, or he, he'll see a, a pass rusher that's not necessarily really there. You know, it's a lot of things that happen when he gets pressure early. So if, if the Bears get home early in the game, it could be a very long game for the Raiders. Now, I have a hunch where this is going to go this week, but what do you believe the Bears' big, biggest weakness is? Uh, that's a good question. That's a really, really good question. I'm assuming it's going to be their their offense and, and the quarterback position, but I tend to think that Chase Daniels probably – just as good as Mitchell Trubisky, if not better. I don't think that the I don't think that the Bears are really losing a whole lot by not having Mitchell Trubisky out there. I'm actually surprised, and maybe you could correct me if I'm wrong. I'm surprised that Matt Nagy's offense hasn't taken the next step uh, from what they were last year because I thought he was pretty creative in 2018 and thought, okay, this year he's going to be even more creative, set this team up for success. And even Trubisky early on, I just thought, okay, he's he's supposed to be better than this right now, and mm-hmm. he wasn't 
So is is the I would say, and again, this is just a question: Is the quarterback position the the weakness for the uh, the Bears right now? Putting me on the spot, I think the entire offense is, and a lot of it does come back down to the play calling. You said it very creative last year. That's kind of died a little bit, besides in some weird third and short situations when we want to get a little overly cute. But yeah, when you're looking at the steps that you're hoping that a guy like Mitch could take this season and this offense in general, all of us here in Chicago, like we're still dumbfounded and confused and yearning for more because this offense is severely underperforming as to what we expected and really what the Bears told us, like what was going to happen this year. They said, okay, last year was 1.0, like 101. And next year's offense this year, it's going to be like 202. Like we're going to be like in a mastery class. That's not what we're seeing. (laughs) <laughs> right, exactly. And that's what I was expecting. I really was because the Bears went, what, 12-4 and four in 2018? Yep. Uh, we're a double doink away from moving on in the playoffs. And I just thought for them to take that next step, like you mentioned, was Mitchell Trubisky coming out and being uh, more comfortable in the offense, being more of a surgeon and making things happen. And uh, I think that, you know, Matt Nagy is smart enough to be able to get that done. It just hasn't happened early in the season. Yeah. And I'm going to let you have a pass on double doink just because of the whole Khalil Mack thing. <laughs> It wasn't, it wasn't intentional. It's just what it is. <laughs> Speaking of double doink in a kicker position, I'm just wondering your thoughts on Eddie Pinero. Well, you know, it's funny. I, I really I liked him when he was a member of the Raiders, and, and I hope that he uh, continues to play for the Bears because I think the Raiders pick, get a pick if he's active for like 10, 10 games. So uh, I like him. Uh, I hope he's successful with the with the Bears. I really do because he, he's a, I think he's a good dude. He went in there in, in a tough situation, and I think the Raiders told him he was going to be around for a long time, and then he end up, they end up trading him. So, um, you know, good luck to him. But, uh, again, I, I like what he brings to the table. I think he's a tough dude, man. I like him. Man, all these picks are just swapping. Us to you. You're going to give us a pretty high one hopefully here soon, too, uh, from the Khalil Mag trade. We'll see how it all plays out. Uh, so I do want to know, uh, one thing that's really unique about the Raiders schedule this year, and this isn't really specific to this week. Again, traveling to London is a very taxing situation for any NFL team, but you guys have a 50-day difference between home games. Your last home game was Week 2 against Kansas City. And your next one's week nine against the Lions. How do you think that's going to impact this team as we kind of continue through this stretch? It's a, it's, it's a huge challenge. I mean, it really is. You know, it's something that John Gruden said. He, he don't even think he's ever heard of that, you know. And I realize Tampa Bay has a really tough schedule as well as far as uh, road games and home games. But that's just something that shouldn't happen. You know, you shouldn't go from week two to week nine without a, a game at home. I mean, and, and I don't care about this London game, call, calling it a home game, because it's not. It's in right. London. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's not. It's just a neutral neutral site game. Call it what it is. And so I, I don't think that that should ever happen like that. That's very uh, unfortunate for the team. And not only are they on the road for that long, but they're playing tough teams. I mean, think about that. They played Minnesota. They went to Indianapolis. They're going to play Chicago. They got Green Bay. I mean, there's nothing but tough teams that they're playing on the road. You know, and it's, it's just... I think it's terrible, especially their last season in Oakland. I don't think it's really fair to the to the fans either. I think that that's kind of a, a raw deal. But I guess if you're looking for a silver lining, you're getting a lot of home games towards the end of the season, and maybe you know maybe you've won a couple of these tough road games, and and all of a sudden you got a little bit of momentum while you're playing at home in front of your home fans. I don't know, but I I really did not like the way that the schedule sh- uh, shook out for the Raiders. I was calling it uh, uh what was the word um adversity but someone corrected me and said it's more like a challenge so i've i've stood corrected and now it's just it's a challenge instead of adversity that's a good way to look at it i like that perspective (laughs) right that's all i can do (laughs) true you're not in the thick of it either but hopefully they keep that mindset as well it's a good way to look at it now of course i want to know is there anything else on this team because you're the expert and i've loved all the insight that you've been bringing on the offense and the defense 
we really haven't hit on your special teams, but is there anything, any X factors, any other players, storylines that we should know about heading into this game? Um, I think that the punter, A.J. Cole, has done a really good job. He had a really good game against the Colts. Uh, he's a rookie. He was an undrafted free agent uh, brought in. And uh, the Raiders had drafted Johnny Townsend in 2018, and he was terrible. He was a punter out of Florida, and uh, they grabbed him in the fifth round, and he's been terrible. He's absolutely been terrible. So I was glad when they cut him and brought in A.J. Cole. And he did a really good job flipping the field for the Raiders on, on Sunday against the Colts. And so I think that that was a, a really good pickup. But one that, that is uh, also going to be a, something to pay attention to, Dwayne Harris. How personalized can a financial plan be when it's created by one of those robo-advisors? Plugging in standard algorithm to calculate insurance need and future wealth of random human client. Robots don't know you. We do. At Farm Bureau Financial Services, getting to know you always comes first. Together, we'll create a financial plan based on your specific goals. Find a local Farm Bureau advisor at fbfs.com protect. It's your future. Let's protect it was the kick return, punt return guy. He was also a good gunner as far as the special teams goes. But he has a really bad ankle injury. So the Raiders went out and made a, a trade with the Packers. Uh, they gave up a six-round pick in 2020 for Trevor Davis, who is actually a, a wide receiver, kick returner, punt returner guy from the Bay Area. Uh, the, the Bay Area, And um, he's got some wheels. And last week against Indianapolis, I don't know if you saw it, but on the end of round, he goes 60 yards for a touchdown. You know, I mean, he's he's got that that Al Davis speed, that speed that that Al would just love. He probably would have made him like a second round draft pick. He's so fast. You know, he's one of those kind of guys. So uh, he's a guy that is really good at the kick return, at the punt return. So if given the chance, given the ability to get the uh, the ball in his hands, he can make some things happen. He doesn't know the offense yet very well, but he hasn't been there very long. But on end of rounds, on, uh, you know, double reverses, stuff like that, I mean, you can't teach speed. You don't have to teach speed. You know, all you got to do is tell him run. Follow your mm -hmm. blockers and run. You know, that's that's the one thing that you could do for with a guy who doesn't know the offense. So he could be an X factor, and he was an X factor against the Colts. I think moving forward, because I keep I keep thinking Dwayne Harris is gonna be out for quite a while. Moving forward, Trevor Davis is gonna be a guy that's gonna be a force or could be a force if the Raiders use him correctly. Yeah, that's why I bring you I bring you on to kind of gain that, you know, little tidbit that maybe you don't get anywhere else. I really appreciate that insight cue. One final question for you. It's a two-parter. It's how I end every Meet the Opponent episode that we do all year long, and it's first part, easy. Why will the Raiders win? Or maybe not so easy. Um, well, they'll win if they have the run game going. And I know it's going to be tough against the Chicago Bears, but if Josh Jacobs is having a good game, if he's able to to get the ball you know, 15, 16 times on the ground, catch the ball in the backfield a few times, if you're able to feed number number 28, the number 24 overall pick out of, out of Alabama, if, if he can continue to get the ball and Derek Carr comes away with no sacks on the day, no, no I, I'm not going to say no sacks. If he comes away with no interceptions thrown on the day, the, the Raiders will be uh, in, in position to win that game. But it's got to be a clean day for number four, and Josh Jacobs has got to be heavily involved in the offense. Now, just the flip side of that question, what's it going to take for Oakland to end up on the wrong side of things and lose the game? Well, a, a, a couple of interceptions, a, a bad day by number four, a bad day from Derek Carr, uh, multiple sacks from from uh, Khalil Mack or anyone else along that uh, defensive line for the Bears. Uh, and like I said, if he creates a couple turnovers, man, it's going to be a it's going to be a long day in London. And look, there's been many long days in London. The Raiders are very famous for that. Last last year. 
the Seattle Seahawks, they mollywopped them. I mean, they did. They just gave them the business. Uh, a couple years ago before that, when Dennis Allen was the head coach, uh, the Dolphins gave him the business, and he got fired before he even got back to, you know, from London. I mean, London is not a good place for the, for the Raiders. So, um, yeah, if they win on Sunday, it'll be, it'll be the first time ever, and it'll be something to celebrate in its own self. Uh, of course, obviously, going up against the Bears, that'd be a celebration as well. But, yeah, man, if Derek Carr has a bad day, gets sacked a few times and throws a couple interceptions, it's going to be a long day in London. All right, Q. I mean, that's all I got for you. I really appreciate the time that you uh, took to hop on this podcast. Give us the insight of the Raiders. It was really awesome to have you on, and I just want to say thank you again. No problem, my man. Anytime you need me, you give me a call. I appreciate you. Well, that'll do it, Bears fans. I hope that you enjoyed Q's insight on the Oakland Raiders. Up next is our weekly preview episode as Nick and I will take a look at how the Bears stack up in all three phases and much more, including our weekly predictions. But until next time, Bear down, Chicago. Bear down.